good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Thank you for, again, choosing to listen to the ministry of Let the Bible Speak. Today we're broadcasting a sermon upon the subject of the believer's hatred for sin. In light of that, I thought it might be beneficial if I would read extracts from Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress is a very famous work of English literature. John Bunyan, a faithful man of God, imprisoned due to his faith, wrote a tremendously insightful allegory of the Christian life. I'm going to begin by reading from the introduction of the book, and then we'll go to broadcast the message. And following the message, we'll come back and read a portion of Pilgrim's Progress, the portion where Christian gets to the cross and finds his sin removed. But let's begin with the words of John Bunyan. As I walked through the wilderness of this world, I led it on a certain place where was a den, and I laid me down in that place to sleep, and as I slept I dreamed a dream. I dreamed, and behold, I saw a man clothed with rags, sitting in a certain place with his face from his own house, a book in his hand, and a great burden upon his back. I looked and saw him open the book and read therein, and as he read he wept and trembled, and not being able longer to contain, he broke out with a lamentable cry, saying, What shall I do? In this plight, therefore, he went home, and refrained himself as long as he could, that his wife and children should not perceive his distress. But he could not be silent long, because that his trouble increased. Wherefore, at length, he broke his mind to his wife and children, and thus he began to talk to them. Oh, my dear wife, said he, and you, the children of my bowels, I, your dear friend, am in myself undone by reason of a burden that lieth hard upon me. Moreover, I am for certain informed that this our city will be burned with fire from heaven, in which fearful overthrow both myself with thee, my wife, and you, my sweet babes, shall miserably come to ruin, except, the which yet I see not, some way of escape can be found, whereby we may be delivered." At this his relations were sore amazed, not for that they believed that what he had said to them was true, but because they thought that some frenzied distemper had got into his head, therefore it drawing towards night, and they hoping that sleep might settle his brains, with all haste they got into bed. But the night was as troublesome to him as the day, wherefore instead of sleeping he spent it in sighs and tears. So when the morning was come, they would know how he did. He told them worse and worse. He also set to talking to them again, and but they began to be hardened. They also thought to drive away his distemper by harsh and surly carriages to him. Sometimes they would deride, sometimes they would chide, and sometimes they would quite neglect him. Wherefore he began to retire himself to his chamber, to pray for and pity them, and also to condone his own misery. He would also walk solitarily in the fields, sometimes reading, sometimes praying, and thus for some days he spent his time. Now I saw upon a time 
when he was walking in the fields that he was, as he was wont reading in his book, and greatly distressed in his mind, and as he read, he burst out, as he had done before crying, What shall I do to be saved? We turn this morning to the 97th Psalm, and we'll read this Psalm together to come to consider the Lord's precious word. Psalm 97, let's hear the word of God. The Lord reigneth, and let the earth rejoice, let the multitude of isles be glad thereof. Clouds and darkness are round about him, righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. A fire goeth before him, and burneth up his enemies round about. His lightnings enlighten the world, the earth saw and trembled. The hills melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. And the heavens declare his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. Confounded be all they that serve graven images, that boast themselves of idols, worship him, all ye gods. And Zion heard and was glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoiced because of thy judgments, O Lord. For thou, Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. Ye that love the Lord, hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous, and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. Amen. We're trusting God again to bless his word to your hearts today. The Lord Jesus uttered those well-known words in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus. When he said to him, ye must be born again. Christ's words are, are not words of a command at that time. Men cannot cause themselves to be reborn. It is not a command for man's actions. Rather, the Lord is stating the absolute necessity of spiritual regeneration. He's stating that for man to see and enter the kingdom... They must be born again. It is absolutely necessary. Man's depravity in Adam so impacts them in every area that they cannot see the glory of Christ and they will not choose to enter the kingdom given their own wills. Depravity impacts our choices, our thinking and our feelings. And regeneration is that radical transformation. It is the work of new creation, a new birth. It is that radical work of the Spirit of God that transforms our depravity. No longer are we bound to make wrong choices. No longer are we bound to think error. No longer are we bound to love the wrong things and hate the right things. Grace and the rebirth changes everything. As Paul says in Romans chapter 8, we are no longer in the flesh, but we're in the spirit. And as such, our affections, our emotions are rightly orientated. In the words of this psalm, in the verse number 10, we come to love the Lord and hate evil. For the one born of the spirit of God, love for Christ is now their chief love All other loves that are legitimate, church, family, they flow out of that love for Christ. 
We only properly love our church and our family if we love Christ first. If Christ takes a lesser place, then our love for church and family is not the love according to the Word of God. Christ has that central place in our heart's affections. Of Mary it was said, Mary hath chosen that good part, that chief thing, that most important thing, that allegiance and devotion to Christ. That's what, that's what Mary had chosen in that particular narrative. And here in the Psalm 10, we see that love for the Lord, or the Psalm 97, sorry, in the verse number 10, we see that love for the Lord also comes with a hatred for evil. The word evil that's used here in this verse is a generic word for bad. It speaks, if you like, of, of every consequence of the fall. All that is bad. But in the context, I think in particular, it has sin in view. You see the second part of the verse. He, did, he preserved the souls of the saints. He delivered them out of the hand of the wicked. So it seems to be that the focus there is on evil in the terms of wickedness, iniquity, and in sin. And I thought this morning it would be helpful to ask ourselves a question afresh. It's a searching question. Do I hate sin? Why do I hate sin? And note that this hatred for sin is not a feeling that occurs once when we repent in conviction. But it is a continual attitude, a continual affection that belongs to all who love the Lord. I was thinking about this morning and I went back to my, my early days as a believer and remembering those times of deep conviction of sin and an awareness of, of this, the depravity of soul. And to be honest, at times there is a progress in grace. By God's grace, we put away sin in, in so many ways. We become more externally righteous. And at times, our hatred for sin can dull. And just as we pray for a fervent love for the Lord, so we should also pray that we'd have an ongoing fervent hatred for sin in its every form. Outward sin. Heart sin. Those things that come in upon us so easily, they so easily beset us. We, we need the Lord to give us a hatred for these things. And so let me give you four reasons. And these are, these are only summary reasons, but four reasons why... We ought to hate sin. And first of all, I hate sin when I think of its character. And the character of sin, it is evil in this verse as opposed to good. We, we know our catechism definition, want the conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Sin is in relationship to God's standards. This psalm in particular emphasizes God's judgment and God's justice. Verse number two, righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. And so we're seeing evil in opposition to God's justice and God's righteousness. And so at its very core, both sins of omission and sins of commission are acts of rebellion against God. If we do not do what God demands, we are acting in rebellion just as much as if we do those things that God forbids. Omission and commission are both acts of rebellion against God. Now there is something admirable when a rebel stands up against an oppressive regime. 
I remember 30 years ago, I was, I was 13 years old. I remember watching the events of Tiananmen Square and the very famous video of that young man standing face to face to that tank. It was marked 30 years ago this year. And there was something admirable in his actions. Bravery, standing against an oppressive regime, standing against that which was, was wrong in, in so many ways. And we, we, we admire that to some degree, although, of course, there is the important biblical principle of submission to authority, but there's still that admirable quality of someone who will stand against oppression. But when you see sin, you should take your eye to the garden. You should go there in your mind's eye and go back to Eden. And in Eden, you should contemplate all the good things that the Lord provided. In the garden, there was no danger, no lacking, no oppression. Every tree was there as bar the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was, there was grace in the garden. An abundance of God's goodness. And so when sin entered and rebellion was fostered, it was rebellion against the goodness of God. And that is horrible. To contemplate rebellion against such kindness is a reminder of the awfulness of sin. I encourage, I encourage you all, and particularly again those young people who have a heart towards rebellion against God, I encourage you all to remember that God's law is not to hurt you, it is to benefit you. And all that God demands of his creatures is for their good. We are to worship only God. That is for your good. And yet rebellious man says no. We worship only in God's way and rebellious man says no. We're to keep one day as holy and rebellious man says no. We're to love our neighbor and rebellious man says no. Marriage, one man, one woman and rebellious man says no. Value life and the rebel says no. Sin stinks as a spirit of rebellion against a gracious God. All of those commands are for our good. It is good that people don't steal. It is good that people don't commit adultery. It is good that people do not commit idolatry. All those things are good. And yet sin is that spirit of rebellion. You see, those that love the Lord, they love the Lord's commands, they love the Lord's ways, they love all that is about God. And thus, having loved His law, they hate they hate evil. John Newton wrote in one of his famous letters, he said this, the exceeding sinfulness of sin is manifested not so much by breaking through the restraint of threatenings and command as by its being capable of acting against light and against love. You see, I've highlighted rebellion in the unconverted sinner. But when the child of God... When the child of God sins, they're acting against the light of the gospel and the love of Christ. So when sin creeps in upon you, and you find yourself reflecting on a past action, an unkind word, an unpure thought, whatever it might be, and you look back to that time and you reflect upon it, remember you're sinning against a gracious God and you're still committing that act of carnal rebellion. 
May God here help us to realize the awfulness of sin in its character as an act of rebellion. Secondly, I hate sin when I think of its consequences. Desolation. Sin brings misery. Sin's pleasure is only for a season. Lying. What does lying do to relationships? To brother and sister, to husband and wife, to father and child, when there's lying and dishonesty and deceit, what does it do? It breaks down relationships. Trust is broken, the very foundation of relationship, and it's ripped asunder. It brings misery. Murder wrecks society. The headlines of the last 24 hours bring tears to your eyes. You contemplate again the, the horror of man's desire to take the lives of others. Does such an act bring joy and a betterment of society? No, it brings misery and desolation. Adultery. Adultery has never prospered at home. It brings ruin and misery to the home. Idolatry. Idolatry of the things of this world that hardens the heart. It takes people away from their affection for the Lord. The way of the transgressors is hard, says the word of God. In Romans 1, we find of people who receive the recompense of their error. They receive in themselves the penalty of their wickedness. And for the believer... Sin leads to spiritual nausea. We, we forget it. It's like going to the, you know, the freezer and with a desire for some ice cream and taking down a full gallon and eating the entire gallon and suddenly realizing that was not a very good idea. But then you go back to do it again. And the week later you think to yourself, I'm going to do it again. And you, you forget, you forget that that act made you feel sick to the pit of your stomach. And for the believer, when they engage in sin, they forget the nausea that it causes them spiritually. We hate sin because of its consequence. The psalmist in Psalm 32 says, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. It's not a pleasant picture. Unconfessed sin leads to misery and desolation. And so we hate sin. The new heart, let me be clear, the new heart cannot be content in sin. And if you're here and dabbling in sin today and it's not giving you a bit of bother, you're having to play fast and loose with God, the concern may well be that you have not experienced what Christ says is necessary. You must be born again. So I hate sin when I think of its character, rebellion. I hate sin when I think of its consequences, desolation. I hate sin when I think of its conclusion. Separation. The day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. There's a breakdown in the relationship between God and man. The wages of sin is death. Depart from me is the final word of judgment. Depart from me. Oh, the horror of that thought. And for the child of God to dabble in sin. We are those who say we love the Lord. Can you imagine having a love for the Lord and then hearing from the Lord on that day, depart from me? The conclusion of sin, the concept of separation should surely form in our hearts a holy hatred for everything that would lead to such a conclusion. 
and the horror of sin. As the sin writer says, we hate the sin that drove thee from my breast. We hate that consequence. The separation that we fear eternally is reflected in our fear of grieving the Spirit here in time. I hate sin when I think of its cost, finally. Crucifixion. Colossians chapter 2, we read about God forgiving us all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. We hate sin when we get to the cross. To wonders I confess, the wonders of his glorious love and my unworthiness. When we contemplate that upon the cross hung the one that we profess to love. My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. And we look back to Calvary and we see blood being shed from our Savior. And we remember in our hearts, my sin put him there. Think of all the sins that you commit before conversion and since conversion. And you praise God that the blood of Christ cleanses from every sin that indicates that as Christ died on the cross, he died for those sins. And so we who profess to love the Lord, surely when we contemplate the cost of our sins, it causes us to hate, to hate those sins. Christ mocked and abused by men, forsaken of his Father. We who love the Lord, we hate iniquity. We hate evil, we hate sin and transgression in every form. That's what God gives us with a new heart. The minute you begin to love Christ, at that very same time you become more and more determined to hate sin. The more... The more we love the Lord, the more we hate sin. But the more we hate sin, the more we love the Lord. You've got to turn it around as well. Ye that hate evil, love the Lord. I was just encouraged this morning again, as often happens, when I pulled open the bulletin for our church. And the psalm is there in the psalm 85. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sins. In the words of Susanna Spurgeon, Thou hast covered all their sin. All of it, every spot and wrinkle, the veil of love has covered all. Sin has been divinely put out of sight, hiding it beneath the propitiatory, covering it with the sea of the atonement, blotting it out, making it cease to be. The Lord has put it so completely away. But even his omniscient eyes sees it no more. What a miracle of this. You see, praise God, when we think about sin, we immediately take our eyes to the Christ of God. And he came willingly to pay the price of his own life for our sins. So as we hate sin, the more we love the Lord. So don't be scared. Don't be afraid to continue to contemplate the depths of the Sin from which you were delivered. But make sure that does not lead to despair. But rather leads to faith and love for Christ. May God help us. And may his word bless us today. Amen. Amen.
Well, thank you for listening to the message on Psalm 97, verse 10. As I said at the beginning of this program, we were going to return to John Bunyan's account of Christian. Christian had that tremendous burden, the burden of sin upon his back. And as Bunyan relates the story, we're going to pick it up as he comes to the cross. Now I saw in my dream that the highway up which Christian was to go was fenced on either side with a wall, and that wall was called salvation. Up this way, therefore, did burdened Christian run, but not without great difficulty because of the load on his back. He ran thus till he came at a place somewhat ascending, and upon that place stood a cross, and a little below in the bottom a sepulchre, So I saw in my dream that just as Christian ran up with the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell from off his back and began to tumble and so continued to do till it came to the mouth of the sepulchre where it fell in and I saw it no more. Then was Christian glad and lightsome and said with a merry heart, He hath given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. Then he stood still a while to look and wonder for it was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should thus ease him of his burden. He looked therefore and looked again, even till the springs that were in his head sent the waters down his cheeks. Now as he stood looking and weeping, behold, three shining ones came to him and saluted him with peace be unto thee. So the first said to him, Thy sins be forgiven thee. The second stripped him of his rags and clothed him with a change of raiment. The third also set a mark on his forehead and gave him a roll with a seal upon it, which he bid him look on as he ran, and that he should give it at the celestial gate. So they went their way. Who's this? The pilgrim? How, tis very true. Old things are passed away. All things become new. Strange. He's another man, upon my word. They be fine feathers that make a fine bird. Then Christian gave three leaps for joy and went on singing. It is our prayer today that you would come to know the experience of Christian, that you would come to the cross, the cross where Christ died, and at the cross you would find your burden of sin rolling away, and that you would know the joy and the peace of having sins forgiven. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170. Or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.